I had a distraught father call me this week. Distraught because his son is in the process of giving up his faith. His son has made some bad decisions. He is headed down a path that is entirely in contrast to everything that he knew as a kid. And the father said things like this to me. He said, I've never would have thought that he would fall from faith. I never thought that he would lie to me. I never thought that he would make such horrible decisions. And so tears, pain, and disbelief now abide in this particular father. And it's not surprising. It's not surprising that his son would make that choice and head in that direction. Not surprising anyway if you go by the statistics. In 2005, the Southern Baptist Council on Family Life reported, sorry, 2002, the Southern Baptist Council on Family Life reported at an annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention that 88%, I'll let that just soak in for a second, 88% of the children raised in evangelical homes leave church at the age of 18 or by the age of 18, never to return. 88% of children raised in evangelical homes leave by age 18 never to return. Now, if you're not having a shudder run through you just about now, if you are a young parent, you should have. That's scary. That is scary. But that's the direction our world has gone. That's the course that we're traveling down. And it has become the pattern, it's become the norm of society for that to happen, even in Christian families. And of course, that says nothing about all those families out there where Christ is not honored, beginning to end the way he is in so many of our families. It's not surprising. In 1933, there was a document that was published by a group called the Humanist Manifesto, you may have heard of that. In 1973, they updated it because it was 40 years ago that they had published it. And here are some things that you're going to find in the... Keegan? There we go, bud. Thank you very much. In the Humanist Manifesto, version number two... It is 40 years, it says, since Humanist Manifesto number one and since it appeared. Events since then make that earlier statement seem far too optimistic. And so they looked at their previous statement, which had been indeed very optimistic. And had talked about how humankind was really on the way up and they were going to conquer all these things. And human beings were just going to continue to move upward. And then all of a sudden a guy named Adolf Hitler came on the scene and they knew there was a problem. So they said here, Nazism has shown the depths of brutality of which humanity is capable. Other totalitarian regimes have suppressed human rights without ending poverty. Science has sometimes brought evil as well as good. Recent decades have shown that inhuman wars can be made in the name of peace. Indeed. And so it's not surprising, given the record of humankind, that our children would leave their faith. They live in this world. As we approach the 21st century, they said, however, an affirmative and hopeful vision is needed. 
Faith, commensurate with advancing knowledge, is also necessary. In the choice between despair and hope, humanists respond in this humanist manifesto too with a positive declaration for times of uncertainty. As in 1933, humanists still believe that traditional theism, especially faith in the prayer hearing God, assumed to live and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them, is an unproved and outmoded faith. Reasonable minds look to other means for survival. We believe that traditional dogmatic or authoritarian religions that place revelation, God, ritual, or creed above human needs and experience do a disservice to the human species. It is either meaningless or irrelevant to the question of survival and fulfillment of the human race. As non-theists, we begin with humans, not God. Nature, not deity. Nature may indeed be broader and deeper than we now know. Any new discoveries, however, will will but enlarge our knowledge of the natural. Now that's where our world tends to go. And so it's not surprising to me if our world is going there that our children who are in that culture would find themselves heading in the same direction. Here's the last statement. As far as we know, they said, the total personality is a function of the biological organism transacting in a social and cultural context. That's what the world thinks. That's where they're at. When they analyze your children, that's what they see. And that's what they tell them. And it's not surprising to me then that so often our children who are bombarded by that message everywhere they go would in fact end up there. And again... If you're a young parent and that doesn't scare you to death, it needs to. I have a 26-year-old and a 22-year-old and an 18-year-old and there's a sense in which it still scares me because I don't want them to go there. I don't want to be one of those fathers who calls somebody else and says, what has happened to my son? Now contrast that with the person and the life of Jesus. Look at these words. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Oh, what beautiful words. What what a glorious depiction of the vision 
that Jesus has for humankind. What a great perspective on what it means to live the kind of life that God has given human beings to live. Jesus himself, a human being, talking about the relationship that he himself has with his Father, and then what he longs for to be within us. That he wants this relationship between ourselves and God to to epitomize or to copy in some way the relationship that he himself has with God. That's a different perspective than the one that says, we believe that human beings should be free from the supernatural. That they should make decisions completely on their own. There's a oneness here, a centeredness here in God that needs to be ours. But I'm a little bit afraid that sometimes we don't give the kind of attention to that that we really need to give. This centeredness in Christ and this oneness with the Lord, the relationship that we have with Him, that Jesus Himself exemplifies here, it needs to be present in us in such a way that it can't help but impact our families and our children. I want to focus specifically on four lines from this prayer of Jesus, which I find particularly significant. Number one here is in verse 21, may they also be in us. What does that mean? That we might be in him. I think that means more than just the fact that we become Christians. I think it means that we're centered there. That ourselves are there. That our lives are wrapped up in being what he wants us to be. This is not lip service. This is the devotion of the life in Christ. I in them and you in me. And he draws the analogy between the Lord God being in the Son Jesus and says, this also needs to happen so that I can be in them the way that you are in me, Father. And that's deep and profound and different than we so often live. You have loved them even as you have loved me. Tells me the relationship that God longs for us to have with him. One of mutual love and devotion where our life is caught up in and wrapped up in what it means for us to love God. And then this line from verse 26. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And there's knowledge here. There is love here. And there is a presence here of God within his believers. And Jesus longs for that to be present within us. And so I want to ask you the question this morning, whether or not this is your focus. Whether or not this is where you are. Because it seems to me like with the the Humanist Manifesto 2 and other documents and philosophies like that that draw us away from Christ... Those so infiltrate our society that they infiltrate us. And the church can't help but somehow being caught up in this perspective, which we can only call secular, and we can only say stands a long ways from where God wants us to be. We tend to lose, I think, with time. There's a watering down, a compromising of the personal spirituality and oneness with God that he wants to be in us. And the knowing him, which he wants to be there, just isn't there. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to take out a piece of paper, maybe from the back of the pew, or you can do this on the back of the bulletin or something. Take out a piece of paper. And I want you to write down on a piece of paper how much quality time in genuine spirituality 
that you think you spent in the last week? How much quality time, how much genuine spirituality do you think you spent in the last week? And if you're thinking, well, what is this comprised? I'm thinking about how much time did you pray? How much time did you spend in specific Christian service? How much time did you spend studying the Bible? How much time did you spend in a quality conversation talking to somebody about Christ? How much time did you spend this week, do you think, and put it in the number of minutes? I'll give you just a moment. You can think about that. How many minutes did you spend in that kind of quality time thinking about the Lord? Okay, now I want you to look at the screen. 6,720 minutes. That's how much waking time most of you got in the last week. That's if you got eight hours of sleep a night. Anybody here not get eight hours of sleep every night this week? Yeah. So you didn't get, if you got less than eight hours of sleep a night, then you're going to have to increase that by that number of minutes. This is how many minutes you had of waking time this week aside from eight hours sleeping at night. 6,720. Now compare that to whatever number it is that you put down on the piece of paper. If you're like most people, it's startling. It's a shock. Maybe because you didn't know you had that many minutes. 6,720. And and what did you put down? Did you put down 20? If you put down 20, you only missed it by 6,700. Did you put down 10? Did you put down 5? Were there some of you who honestly put down 0 and reflected and said, I didn't do any of this? Did you put down 60? Did you put down 120? Did you do really well and you had an hour a day and you take 60 times 70 and it said 420? And then just reflect for a moment and realize that there's still thousands of moments left when God was not the center of your focus in your week. Contrast that to Jesus. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus is pressed by ministry tasks. There's so much that he has to get done. Things are so hectic for him that they come looking for him while he's out in the middle of prayer, but he still takes the time to pray. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He's got thousands of people who are trying to find him. He's got to go catch up to his disciples, but he takes the time to pray. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. And he prays because he knows he's about to die, and he takes the time at that moment. Would you do that if you knew that you were about to die? Would you take the time to go pray? Most of us go to the hospital which is a good place to be too. But we use so often human sources of maintenance in our lives. 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He just wanted to let people know around him that he communicates with his father on a regular basis. And they needed to see that because that's what he does. Well, my impression is honestly that God offers to us the same kind of walk. And that's the point. God offers to us the same kind of spirituality that Jesus had. Jesus was a human being. 100% human flesh. And he was as tempted to misuse his time as we are. He was as tempted to be lazy as we are. He was as tempted to put other priorities ahead of him as we are. He had thousands of people around him everywhere that wanted to be healed. And instead of even those ministry tasks getting in the way, Jesus takes the time to build his relationship with his Father. And we must. If we don't, those who propagate truths like the Humanist Manifesto 2 are going to keep after us. And they're going to keep after our children. And our children will give in. And they will fall. And they won't be what God wants them to be. And 88% of them will leave the evangelical faith and never come back to Christ. And it's a tragedy. And it should indeed break our hearts that that's what happens in our world. Look at this verse. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Do you sense the conversation? Do you sense the lifestyle? Do you sense the oneness? Do you sense the insight into the life of Jesus as he attempts to have a relationship with his Father? Do you talk to God like that? Do you, in the moments of your day, spend serious time talking about serious things with God because the relationship that you have with Him is serious? And then look at this from John 15, 4. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. And my question this morning is, Are you an abider? Do you abide? Do you abide? Do you find yourself seeking him and longing for him and letting your heart and your mind rest there? I have an assignment for you. I want everybody to do this. I want everybody to make themselves a note. And I want you to put it on the mirror so that when you get up in the morning, it's there. Or I want you to put it on your nightstand where you lay your glasses and you see it there. Or I want you to put it on the cupboard where you open the the cupboard to get into the dishes for breakfast in the morning. Or put it on your steering wheel. Or put it on your Bible if that's where you turn. But I want everybody this week, if they could, for a moment, for just this week, 
to get in the habit of every morning when you wake up, the first thing you think about is your creator. The first thing you think about when you open your eyes is Jesus. The first thing you do when you pop out of bed is to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he wants for you and the relationship that he longs to have with you. Put it on the mirror. Put it on the steering wheel. Put it on the bedstand. Put it on the cupboard where your dishes are. Put it in top of your underwear drawer. So that the first thing that happens when you get out of bed, even if you're fuzzy and you haven't had your caffeine fix and you can't remember yet when you first do it, when you see that note, something will happen. You'll say, I need to stop right now. And I want you to give two minutes right at that point to Christ. Just two. Give two minutes right then to Christ. Two times seven, 14. You got a long ways to go. But you can do that. And we can get into some great habits. And God will bless us as we attempt to simply abide in him. God will be pleased that you've done that. And who knows the ramifications for others in your life that it may have. Especially those of you who are young parents. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take you so seriously. Help us, God, to see the things that we can do to be in constant touch with you, to abide with you. And Father, I pray that that abiding will increase. Help us to expand our spiritual vision the capacity for you to live in our hearts and dwell in us, Father, in a rich and wonderful way. Open our hearts and make this possible with our church this week. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.